I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to 32 Fans in 32 Days. I'm Alexander Chester with me as always Akiva, how are you today? I'm great, you know. I, I just, I feel like we don't talk enough, Chester. Yeah, well, you know, we're starting the second half. We have a double header in the state of Missouri today. As we start with the 16th ranked St. Louis Rams, and then we're going to head about 200 miles west on Route I-70 to Arrowhead Stadium to the 15th ranked Kansas City Chiefs. But you know, Akiva, I think the biggest critique we've gotten from the from the first 16 episodes is people saying that they need to hear more of Akiva and Alex. And, you know, they like the guests, but they want to hear more of us. So so apparently apparently, uh, we don't talk enough. I don't talk enough. I've never heard that before. Uh, the biggest critique we've gotten is from both of our wives saying, stop this podcast <laughs> now or we're both going to divorce yeah, you. Yeah, that, that's actually that – is that, <laughs> that's a more honest and accurate – Yeah, is, and I'm, we're not well, – there's no joking. Like, I don't I don't know if my wife fully realizes. Like, hopefully, hopefully she thinks there's only, like, 15 teams in the NFL. Nobody tell her. Well, what but, we haven't uh, told her yet is that after this, in October, we have to do uh, double team because we got to do that uh, that 30 fans in 30 days for the NBA and then for the NHL as well. Oh, I mean, I would do an NBA one of these uh, if people are actually listening to this, but what, what, I, I really what, 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 NHL. What, my 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 fantasy. The last time I did fantasy hockey, my team name was like 11th favorite sport or something like that. Um, uh, or should we also do like the uh, all 311 uh, Division One uh, college basketball programs? Listen, if it's a good idea. Joining us today, today to talk the, about uh, Stephen Texas F. Austin. Is, yeah. <laughs> well, I named a school that actually exists, though. Grambling versus Southern. Who is better? Yeah, but that's not Division One, is it? Yeah. Oh, it is? In uh, basketball, it is, yeah. They're oh. terrible, but yes. Well, th- yeah, those are all those HCBs. And it's not 311 anymore. It's like 360, Chester. Oh, it I'm would way, be long. I'm way off. Well, look, I've, I've long advocated that I think that March Madness should be expanded. Um, to every to, team? Well, I think at least to 256. Totally. Like, you know what's what's the downside? Can you imagine and, like Joe Lunardi trying to like figure out like who's doing who's number two hundred fifty-five. I think the only reason they don't do it is because you couldn't fit it on a piece of paper in terms of filling out a bracket. It's true, it would really hurt gambling. Although, but who's doing brackets on paper in two thousand fifteen anyway? I don't know, but now, even even like ESPN, their system for doing the brackets is kind of garbage. Like it's very low like tech technology, so I wouldn't want to see what they come up with for two fifty-six. But I'm there. Yeah, I, I think you guys heard my rant about how there should be a seventh team in the playoffs in the NFL. This one is even more of a no-brainer for a number of reasons. First of all, 
No, it's this is definitely yeah. a brainer. Like, all, there's definitely a counter argument. All, all well, yeah. okay. So here, here, here's my argument. All a coach wants is to make the tournament, right? You make the tournament. It's a feather in your cap. It helps you keep your job. So the more teams that make the tournament, the better it is for coaches. That's number one. Number two, uh, one of the most endearing things about March Madness is the fact that there's crazy upsets that little teams. In little yeah, but schools. a 16 seed has never beaten a one. So why is a 32 seed or a 64 seed going to beat a one? Well, I, the 64 seed is not going to beat the one. But maybe a 59 seed is going to be a five, right? I mean, oh my gosh, this is so hard to free, to figure out. <laughs> what was I off? 59 and five. So here's the other one. You know, in England they have the FA Cup. They have a cup where every team in every division can play each other, and uh-huh. I'm sure other countries do the same. And for a team in one of the lower divisions to beat a team in one of the higher divisions, it doesn't happen all the time. And and I on a I, I realize that soccer because it's a higher variance sport with with so few goals scored, there's more likely to be an upset. But the excitement level there would be for some random team you never heard of to advance, I just think it'd be more exciting. Plus, March Madness is three weeks right now. If you expand it to, to 256 teams, that's that's four weeks. So we, we add oh, so another you get the full March. Yeah, we, we add a fourth weekend. Oh, my God. Well, I don't think By the way, we're, this, we're talking about college basketball right now, not even college football. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, this is a um, – oh, it's an NFL podcast. Oh, yeah, that's yes. right. <laughs> but um, yeah, how did we get on this? I have no idea. Well, but we're going to talk Rams. What do you think about the Rams? So, you know, it's funny because I rank the Rams 15th, you rank the Rams 17th, so we averaged them out at 16. And now I'm not really sure why I did that. I think that they're, you know, the teams that we have them collectively above in, in, in are, include the Vikings, which I think that's definitely wrong. The Panthers, which in terms of power rankings, maybe it's accurate, but in terms of relevance, it's not just because the Panthers' division is so much weaker. You know, the Panthers, right. the Panthers are going to be... And they have be, a better quarterback, obviously. Yeah, um, and then we have the Lions next. You know, the Lions coming off an 11 and 5 season. I'm surprised to see the Lions blow the Rams. The Dolphins. Um, we've heard all about your Ryan Tannehill love. We have them below the Rams, so I'm surprised that we have the Rams this high. The Rams, to me, are actually somewhat similar to the Buffalo Bills, uh, with the with the exception being that the Bills actually had a good season last year, whereas the Rams went six and ten. But both teams have a good defense. The, the Rams obviously have a great defensive line, but um, they have questions on offense. Now the, the Rams, hopefully, their offense will be better than Buffalo's. But Nick Foles. Well, why don't you just do everything about the Rams? We don't even need the guy for the podcast. Yeah, that's true. I just <laughs> I, 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 I just think we rank the Rams too high. Okay. Is Nick I mean, Foles we rank them sixteen. Like that's not great or bad. It's literally in the middle. Yeah, but they went six and ten last year. Yeah, so. the problem with the Rams is that I mean, yes, the Niners are kind of out of that division in terms of being contender, but the Cardinals are really good, and obviously the Seahawks are the Seahawks, so they're in a really bad spot. Like best case scenario, they go ten and six, and they're fighting for that sixth seed. My theory is that the Rams should slip Goodell. Goodell at this point is probably susceptible to bribes, right? Like, the Rams should yeah, slip but, Goodell. But, but, but he's susceptible to very big bribes. He's making $45 million a year. Yeah, so $20 million. I think he's any more than It'll that. be worth it. All right, let's hear it. Uh, and they get to, they switch with the Saints into the NFC South. So St. Louis, which is north and west of New Orleans. <laughs> well, actually, it's not west, uh, but it's north. I mean, you want to make like a three-way trade? I'll send your Vikings that west if you don't stop making fun of this. Well, I guess the only other caveat about this is what happens when the Rams move to L.A.? They're still in the south? All right, so clearly this would be part of a deal. This is like a double-sided deal here. You know, Cranky is giving him $20 million. Goodell is, you know, doing something for Cranky. I'm not sure what. Like, well, what Cranky on- wants to do is move to L.A., so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, listen, this is not a foolproof plan. This is like why we do this intro. We try and work things out here. Yeah. Uh, but... If the the point is if the if the Rams could move to the NFC South, realistically, they're the most talented team in the division. They don't have a good quarterback like the other teams, 
but they would certainly contend uh, if they could get anything out of Nick Foles. Yeah, I think I think you know I don't know if they're the best team in the division, but they would certainly be competing with Carolina, totally. New Orleans, and Atlanta, and and uh, Tampa Bay. You know, we had uh, a couple of days ago we had our, or I guess it was last week by now we had our Bears podcast, and our and our Bears guest Ari Gleischer, he actually thinks the Tampa Bay Bucks are going to win that NFC South, which which says more about how bad the NFC South is than it does about uh, the Bucks, I think. Uh, yeah, I guess. Or, I don't know. The Bucks are terrible. All right. Uh, I feel bad for our guest because uh, by the time he comes on the podcast, everyone will have dropped off. So let's bring him on. So joining us now is Jordan Roos to talk about the Rams. Jordan, how are you today? Good. How are you? I am good. So this is our 16th ranked St. Louis Rams. We think, or collectively, Akiva and I have the Rams above a number of NFC contenders, the Vikings, the Panthers, the Lions, the Saints. Well, just say NFC teams. I don't think you, uh, the contender. I don't know about. <laughs> it's a strong take. You know, all of those teams have had uh, playoff success much, much more recently than the Rams. The Rams have gotten worse each of the three years under Jeff Fisher. Last year they dropped to six and ten, but yet we think of them as a contender for for some reason. Uh, yesterday, Akiva and I recorded our our halftime between teams seventeen and sixteen, our halftime podcast, ranking the thirty-two quarterbacks. And in passing, while discussing your quarterback, who we'll get to, Akiva said that the Rams are, quote, a very good team, uh, good enough that he thinks that Nick Foles could, could manage them deep into the playoffs. Um, but, you know, this is a team that hasn't had a winning record since 2003, which is actually shocking when I looked that up. In fact, they've had only four winning seasons in the last 25 years. So are we too high on the Rams? Well, with the Rams, uh, it's basically the same story every year. We look scary. We look good. Uh, we look like we're going to be contenders finally this year, and then, uh, you know, it just doesn't pan out, especially the last couple of years when we've been relying on uh, two of uh, the worst quarterbacks that were uh, forced into starting positions. Uh, last year, obviously, Austin Davis and Sean Hill uh, took the entire season between the two of them with Sam Bradford going down in the preseason. Really, when you look at it, uh, the Rams... They they have a shot once again this year. Uh, it looks like our defense is uh, going to be good, but you know we I thought the same thing last year. And you look at the first six games that the Rams had, and they just they couldn't pull anything off. I mean, we were one of the worst defenses through the first six games, and that really hurt us. Uh, so really, when you look at it, it's just the same as the past few years. We look like contenders early, um, and we'll have to see what actually happens when the season starts. Is Jeff Fisher's job on the line? Do they need, does he need to make the playoffs to keep his job? You know, Jeff Fisher is really, really an interesting case study when you look at him because, uh, pretty much every year, uh, after the first few years of coaching, he's always good at, uh, being a very middling coach. He's great at getting teams to about eight and eight. Uh, but then when you, uh, you think he's on, uh, you know, his last year, if he doesn't pull it off, uh, he always seems to talk himself into another year, like, uh, when he was coaching the Titans, he had three very mediocre years. Everyone thought it was his last year. Uh, they gave him one more chance, and he ended up bringing him to the Super Bowl that year. Sounds like someone read that Bill Barnwell article. Yes, just recently. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so let's let's talk about you know the biggest offseason news. Start from Nick Foles, I guess. First of all, were you happy with the trade? I was really happy with the trade. Um, you know, just like what most people think, Sam Bradford probably has a higher ceiling, but we're never going to realize it if he's not on the field. And while Nick Foles does also have his struggles with uh, being in there for a full season, um, his injuries are typically a little more minor than Bradford's, you know, two ACL tears in a row. It's a little bit worrisome. Um, 
So I think that uh, if we can keep him in this whole season, uh, which is a big question mark, to be fair, I think that uh, it was probably one of the better trades in the offseason in general, especially when you throw those two draft picks on top of it. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. This is something that Akiva and I discussed in, the, in our quarterbacks podcast as well. I think the general consensus before the trade was that Nick Foles had a higher value in the league than Sam Bradford. And when news came that there was a pick being swapped, I think most people initially assumed that it was going the other direction. Once you found out it was coming to the Rams, which meant that Chip Kelly apparently valued Bradford much higher than Foles, did that surprise people? Uh, who were Did that surprise Rams fans? Uh, yeah, I think we were all pretty surprised. I mean, Nick Foles, you know, he had just been coming off kind of a, an off year after his uh, 27-2 and two year. Um, so I think that when we saw that pick, I mean, uh, being traded before it was known who it was actually going to, we all just kind of assumed it was going to the Eagles because Sam Bradford being, um, you know, uh, previously having two very good years when he was able to stay healthy and then uh, as well as being a first-round pick uh, once upon a time, I think we all just kind of assumed that the pick was getting swapped to the Eagles. And once we saw it was coming to the Rams, um, there was actually uh, quite a few uh, people arguing, I remember, because it was uh, kind of a rumor at the time. And uh, there was so many people saying that there's absolutely no way that it's uh, going to be coming to the Rams. And then when it was clarified, yeah, there was definitely some surprise there. The one thing about Folds is, uh, you know, sometimes staying healthy, they say, is a skill. But if you also remember... You know, Matthew Stafford's nickname used to be Matthew Stafford if he stays healthy, and he's basically played five straight seasons. So, like you said, they could be more fluky injuries. And, you know, Sam Bradford is clearly somebody who cannot stay healthy, but I, I need to see at least one more injury from Foles before we totally write off his uh, health, right? But one thing yeah, that, exactly. One thing that Bill Barnwell pointed out is that Foles gets hit more than just about any quarterback in the league, and that was in Philadelphia where they have a great offensive line. You know, because Foles holds on to the ball so long. And, and we'll turn to the Rams' offensive line in a little while, but... Their line is much weaker than Philadelphia's is, certainly. And so I think that some of those injury concerns are valid. I guess my other question about Foles is he's 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 a down-the-field thrower. And I assume the Rams are going to go with a more conservative offense. Their wide receivers aren't as good as, as what Foles had in Philadelphia. And they've just invested heavily in, in Todd Gurley at the top of the draft. So, But you know, Nick Foles is a guy whose completion percentage was under 60% last year. So is he the right type of quarterback for the offense that Jeff, Jeff Fisher wants to run? It's at this point in time, it's really hard to say because I mean, the, the offense that Chip Kelly ran uh, and Andy Reid ran, I mean, they're so so different than anything that Fisher has tried to run because we're more about like the like you said the uh, ground and pound and then some conservative throws in there. Um, but I, looking at the preseason game, I mean, we were we were able to see Nick Foles uh, throw a nice pass to Lance Kendricks down the field, um, and then but he also showed that he's able to do kind of those short passes with that uh, nice 35 yard uh, run. From Tavon after catching the ball, you know Sean Mannion. I see is uh, he's the backup, um, and you guys drafted him in the third round. So is there any? Obviously Foles has a starting job. There's no quarterback controversy, but is there sort of a contingent of Rams fans who are already sort of like oh, we want to see what Mannion has the ring for him, or is he more of a long-term project? Case, well, I know. think that we all we all kind of realize that Mannion is more of a long-term project. Um, he was uh, kind of one of the middle prospects, you know, for quarterbacks in this past draft. Um, and there's he has a lot of work to, to do. And, I mean, we saw that in the preseason game as well. Um, but honestly, from what we've seen, and, and one preseason game obviously doesn't matter, but from what we've seen, um, it's all pretty much uh, we kind of are in agreement that he looked a lot better than both Case Keenum and Austin Davis. Well, I mean, that, that just means, like, he, you know, he should still be in the NFL. 
Because if he couldn't beat that Austin Davis, then I'm not so sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so turning to the wide receivers, uh, Foles is going to have to find some of them. Um, you know, it's worth saying that the entire Rams offense doesn't have to have a single player. It, just looking at pro football focus, they don't have a single player even listed as good, let alone a leader high quality. Uh, <laughs> not shockingly, everybody's average or below average with the exception of the left tackle who's poor. Or, or not, there's a lot of not enough infos, to be fair. And obviously it's a young team with a lot of rookies too that, you, can, you know, you can't possibly have a grade for. Yeah, so moving to the wide receivers, Jordan, I was wondering, you know, there's not a single player on the Rams offense who's listed as, on pro football focus, as elite, high quality, or even good. Every single player on the offense is average or below average. And even if you expand it to the whole team, there's five players on the defensive line that are elite, high quality, or good, but they don't have a player outside the defensive line on the entire team listed as good. But, Starting with the wideouts and the tight ends, is there anybody you see here having a breaking out a breakout year or you know, someone who could really be a difference maker or even like collectively, can this be assuming Foles is twenty thirteen Foles, like is there an even enough talent for that to be feasible? Well, when you look at Brian Quick's uh, year last year that he was having, uh, he was on track for a thousand yards, which uh, we haven't had a wide receiver reach a thousand yards uh, since since Bulger was at the helm. So I mean it's uh, I mean, years ago now. Um, so uh, I think if Brian Quick is able to rebound from his uh, really bad shoulder injury and uh, if Britt can continue to step up like he did uh, towards the second half of the season, um, I think that we have a chance, you know, if, uh, and you also, when you look at, I mean, the wide receivers and the tight end stats, you have to think about who's been throwing to them the past year and a half. We haven't had Bradford uh, take a regular season snap since uh, mid-season last year. Um, I, you know, uh, when you look at a uh, tight end like Kendricks, uh, he was also making a lot of drops. Um, and Jared Cook, uh, he'll, make, uh, he'll, he'll make a lot of spectacular catches and then uh, drop an easy one in the end zone. Uh, we saw him drop another one in the end zone um, during the preseason game. Um, but I think that as long as uh, Brian Quick is able to keep himself healthy and rebound from his injury... Uh, maybe Stedman Bailey can jump in and Kenny Brett retains uh, the leadership that he kind of had. Um, and Foles is able to use them appropriately. Um, I really think we have a shot. And uh, that's not even looking at the fact that uh, perhaps our new offensive coordinator, uh, he may be able to use Tavon Austin uh, in ways other than just trying to run him up the gut. And I think their most dynamic playmaker, or the hope is anyway, is going to be Todd Gurley, the, the, the number 10 draft pick. The biggest concern there, obviously, is the fact that he's coming off a torn ACL, and when will he be ready to play? Yeah, exactly. And I, it's already been confirmed that he's not going to take any preseason snaps. Um, I think most reports are it's looking like he's going to maybe come back around around uh, week three or week four. And although the truth is Trey Mason looked pretty good last year, uh, and the offense was still really bad, and I, I guess that'll transition to what seems to be the biggest hole on an offense with a lot of them, and that's the offensive line. You lost four of the five starters from last season's offensive line, both tackles. Is this a line that's going to be better this year, or is it just it's too hard to tell because you're relying on a couple of rookies to start on the left side? It is really hard to tell, but it's also uh, easy to say. It, can it really get much worse than last year? Um, <laughs> we we let through, I, like you said, I mean, uh, Foles, he got hit quite a bit with the Eagles. He's going to be seeing quite a lot uh, more of that on the Rams, Uh you know, uh, especially with uh, Roger Saffold, he is kind of our veteran anchor. And I mean, five snaps into the preseason game, he was injured, and we had to uh, bring in Garrett Washington, who was uh, more than happy to let pressure through almost every single play. Um, 
from what we've seen in the preseason game. Um, I know that obviously Robinson was going up against uh, Khalil Mack, so that's going to kind of skew it a little bit. Um, Robin, the, but uh, Robinson and Saffold's side was actually uh, letting a lot more pressure through than Havenstein and uh, Brown's side, which was uh, kind of nice to see them be able to keep up. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if they can keep up uh, when we're playing against uh, you know, a team with more pass rushers than just Khalil Mack. All right, so Jordan, switching tacks to you know a brighter note, uh, and the Rams defense. So, like you said, the first six games last year, the Rams defense, I think they only had one sack collectively. They were playing really poorly, and then they turned it on and you know basically became one of the best units in the league. So, what happened those first six games uh, versus the last ten? Uh, you know how they turn it on, and are you expecting more of you know an a inconsistent team like last year, where like a little bit of the first six. A little bit of the last 10, or is what we saw uh, the last couple months last season uh, what we're going to see the whole 2015? Well, unfortunately, if you've been watching the Rams for, I mean, the past 10 years, you know that it's uh, pretty much perennial that we're going to start out slow. Um, We did definitely start out slower than uh, everyone kind of expected last year. Uh, But you do have to remember we're also learning a completely new defense uh, under our new defensive coordinator. Um, so hopefully they're able to put it all together right off the bat, especially facing the Seahawks uh, right, out, right away. Um, so uh, really when you look at it, um, I think that uh, if we can keep Chris Long healthy, you know, he went out week one uh, last year, and uh, he's, he's a really big part of that defensive line. He's kind of the veteran anchor there as well. Um, as long as we can keep him in, um, then maybe we'll be able to come out a little bit stronger than we did last year. Um, but unfortunately, uh, when you look at it, uh, there's not a whole lot of correlation between teams putting it together halfway through the season, um, being able to continue that production at the beginning of the next season. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because, yeah, the idea of momentum doesn't really exist. Although I think the Rams lost their last three games last year, right? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, so if they had any momentum in, in let's say, November, it obviously dissipated by December anyway. I, I guess the, the, the question I have about the defense is, look, the defensive line, as Akiva said, is stacked. Uh, you know, you added – you have rookie of the year Aaron Donald. You have Robert Quinn, of course, who's one of the best players in the in the league. Chris Long is coming back. They added Nick Fairley as, as depth. But behind that front four – the defense gets a lot worse really quickly. The secondary is weak. Uh, I think the linebackers might even be worse. What do you see I- I- among among the linebackers in the secondary as, as room for improvement, or do you think they're going to struggle there as well? Well, James Laurinaitis has always been um, a pretty good anchor for us at middle linebacker. Alec Ogletree has been uh, kind of coming into his own lately. And then uh, we also brought in Akeem Ayers, uh, who hopefully will – uh, kind of fill in the spot better than Jolon Dunbar has been able to. Um, secondary, you know, a lot of people are pretty big uh, on our secondary. Uh, they like to tout, you know, uh, the nice uh, pick sixes by Janoris Jenkins. Personally, I think that Janoris Jenkins is one of the worst starting quarterbacks, I mean, uh, cornerbacks in the league. Uh, he struggles uh, to keep up with his man. He'll always, he, he tries to be a playmaker, which uh, when he's able to successfully do it, it's great. Uh, but when you see how many big touchdowns uh, we let, you know, especially uh, in that last drive in the second half from other teams, it's almost always Janoris Jenkins' fault. Um, and then uh, with Tremaine Johnson, I mean, he looked uh, great in the preseason game. He had that a really nice interception. Um, and uh, he's a little bit more solid than Janoris Jenkins, in my opinion. 
but really the biggest disappointment already is that we lost EJ Gaines for the year. And uh, he was our six-round draft pick uh, last year. He came out. He looked absolutely fantastic. Uh, I think we were all really excited to see him. And uh, as you uh, know, he got injured in the uh, one of the first practices. Uh, it looks like it's a foot issue. Uh, his metatarsal was separated from his tarsal, and he's done for the season. So in my opinion, he was probably the best cornerback we actually had on our team, and now he's already gone. Yeah, and I, I guess ultimately the hope is that if you have such a good defensive line, especially with a Greg Williams defense that's blitzing all the time, hopefully the, uh, the secondary won't have to cover their receivers for too long before the quarterback gets hit. Absolutely, that is that's the hope. But uh, especially in those first six games last year, it just it, it didn't pan out for us. So hopefully we're able to get that going right off the bat this coming year. Uh, yeah. So Jordan, uh, big more big picture than roster stuff. Um, you're not from you don't live in St. Louis, correct? That is correct. So, but uh, obviously the main thing, um, big picture that's surrounding this team is the inevitable, eventual, possible move uh, out of St. Louis, which I know any Rams fan that I know is really, that's all they're talking about, to the point where the last time we did something like this, uh, the person I had, uh, we had to do the Rams, I don't even think he'd be interested now. Like, the people who actually live in St. Louis are so uh, hesitant to sort of put their heart behind this team, you know, fearing that, that the Crankies are going to, move it away, you know, the, the first chance they get to go to L.A. So uh, as someone who roots for the Rams but doesn't live in St. Louis, what's your perspective on this? Well, you know, I, I was, I'm, I'm only 22 years old, so by the time I remember things, I mean, they, they've always been the St. Louis Rams to me. Um, I think that right now uh, a lot of people are very reactionary. I mean, uh, they're being told that the team that they love and they follow is being completely moved. Um, so, I mean, even even though I don't live in St. Louis, I mean, I, I hate the thought of that. They've always been the St. Louis Rams for me. But I also know that, you know, there's a lot of people in Los Angeles who had them taken away from them. Uh, like, uh, few, like uh, what was that, about 25 years ago now? Um, so 1995? You're a youth, but I remember the, uh, the L.A. Rams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so in 1995, I mean, there was a lot of people upset about that, and I think, you know, a lot of people say people weren't as upset, but I there wasn't as much uh, global communication in 1995 either. I think that there were plenty of people who were just as upset then. Um, so, I mean, it, it's not really easy to think about, hey, we're going to be moving. You know, we're finally looking like we might be on the upswing, and now we're gone. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, when they move, they're still the same team that I've been following my entire life. Uh, so, I mean, I'm going to stick with them through it. So, yeah, that's – and one interesting part of it is the fact that they're moving back to the city they came from. Now, I don't think that, that Stan Cranky cares about that. I think he just sees Los Angeles as a huge market where he can make a lot of money. It does change that dynamic a little bit, the fact that they're moving uh, you know, back to their original hometown. I can say I'm a Vikings fan, and if they moved to Los Angeles, I wouldn't support them anymore, um, or at least – I would like to think I wouldn't, but but let's turn to the schedule now. As Akiva said, you mentioned the fact that they start out slow every year. They started out slow last year. Um, they were one in four last year, which essentially ended their season by early October. And this year, you have a brutal early schedule, especially with with Todd Gurley out. So let's let's go through the schedule and, and see if you think they can get out to a better start and, and keep themselves in the playoff race longer, or if it's going to be a an uphill climb again this year. Uh, week one, you start at home against the Seattle Seahawks. It doesn't get uh, much more difficult than that. Uh, yeah, so we always play the Seahawks really hard at home. 
uh, what the telling factor here is going to be, whether we're able to start off strong. Um, if our defensive line is able to start off strong um, and we're able to get through that offensive line, which is uh, really the weak part of that Seahawks offense, uh, I really think we can pull off the win there. Okay. Um, so that's going to be a big upset you're predicting in week one then. Yes, um, and that's only because, you know, we, we have almost always beat the Seahawks at home uh, under Fisher, and uh, I really think that we can pull that one off as well uh, to start our season off right. Yeah, I mean, they beat them last year with Austin Davis, right? Yeah, but exactly. la- last year in week one, and I know this is a Vikings fan, the Vikings went into St. Louis and destroyed them by four touchdowns, and this is before... You know, this is before the Vikings had Bridgewater or just about anybody that they would have get. Yeah, that's probably season. in hindsight, it's one of the five weirdest results from last year. It is. It is also well, the only I mean, game the Vikings, that the Vikings were better. Were the, play the Vikings with were better than St. Louis all of last year, though. So why was that so weird? <laughs> well, it was. Who was their quarterback in that game? The Vikings. Well, it was Castle, I think. But um, yeah. Um, yeah, but he, I mean, he also had a good game against, I think it was Pittsburgh and, and London or something. Um, yeah, Peterson played. He didn't play all that well. All right, this isn't a Vikings podcast. Okay, so you see a, a big upset in week one, and, and as you said, it would be the second year in a row that they beat Seattle at home. Then they go to Washington. Um, following and Rams tradition these past few years, I believe that we will drop this game to the Redskins, uh, and I believe that we will lose it. All right, then you come back home. Another tough home game, this one against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I think we lose this one as well because uh, this is uh, right when they get Le'Veon Bell back, and I think that he's uh, going to come in with a vengeance and absolutely tear us apart. All right, so a big Week One win against Seattle. Everyone's talking about you know the Rams are for real this year, or even without Todd Gurley. Then they have a couple of tough losses, and now they go on the road, a really tough road swing. First, you go play Arizona. Um, so with Arizona, I believe that we will uh, probably lose to them as well. Uh, both both Arizona games last year, we uh, uh, we dropped them. Austin Davis is really to blame for one of them, uh, but we got outplayed uh, by both uh, by the Arizona in both games last year. All right, so now you're trying to desperately avoid that one and four start again for the second season, but you have to go to Green Bay to face possibly the best team in the NFL, in the Packers. Yep, and uh, once again, I think that we lose. I think that unless we can pull off a Denver Broncos situation here. Uh, like we did uh, last year, I don't see really any chance of us beating the Packers. So you get the early bye, which will probably be much needed. I'm sure, you know, Fisher's name will be slung around the media, and Jay Glazer will be reporting that, you know, Chris Long punched somebody in the face or something. And Well, he wouldn't <laughs> report that, actually, because uh, that's his uh, son's, uh, that's his friend's son. But um, the anyway, so you're 1-4 at that point, and, and the season isn't totally over because the schedule really opens up. So you guys host... The Browns and the Niners in back-to-back weeks. What do you think about those games? I think uh, we should be able to beat the Browns. Um, you know, uh, we come back from home. Uh, we're one and four, and uh, this is about the time last year that we finally kind of put it together. Uh, so I think facing the Browns at home is going to be um, a pretty big game for us to finally get back on track. And the Niners the next week? I think we beat the 49ers. Um, it's going to be this. I, I predict this is going to be a pretty tough year for them, just like uh, everyone else, with all of their huge losses this offseason. Who's the Rams' biggest rival? Uh, the Rams' biggest rival. Uh, it would depend on how who you ask. I would definitely be in the boat of uh, the 49ers, um, just because you know when we played in LA, they were pretty close to us um, as well. So I know that a lot of people already didn't like them then. Um, and it's kind of become a pretty bitter uh, divisional rivalry now. 
Um, obviously, the other would be uh, possibly the Seahawks. Uh, completely depends on who you ask. I don't really know anyone who thinks that the Cardinals are our biggest rival. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. All right, so you guys are three and four. Another sign of – I wonder if, if you feel this as a fan of the team, because sometimes fans uh, don't have great perspective on how their team is perceived. But the fact that you guys have 13, I think, 1 o'clock games, you know, basically every single game until the – the you know ridiculous primetime game Thursday December seventeenth against the Bucks, which you're lu- you know people are lucky is not on Yahoo, uh-huh. um, is uh, you know it, it's basically the league and the and the schedule makers saying like oh yeah the Rams they might be okay but they're really boring they don't have a marquee player do you get that feeling like the rest of the league which I, I would agree with that the, I think the rest of the fans and around the league and the country kind of thinks that this is a very dull team. Absolutely. I, I, even like the, the past five or six years, I felt like we've been one of the most irrelevant teams in the NFL. We're given almost no pro, uh, prime time exposure at all. Yeah. And as a Jets fan, I feel the same way. Off the field, the Jets are, are very in- entertaining, but, you know, I always get people complaining to me who are not Jet fans who live in New York or are stuck with the one game in, you know, in the CBS window. They're like, oh, I can't believe I have to watch the Jets. They're, they're unwatchable. Uh, but I guess you could say that about any team without a quarterback. Anyway, so you guys, Go to Minnesota at three and four. What do you think? You know, I think the Vikings take this one again this year. Um, they're going to have uh, Adrian Peterson. We're going to have to actually go up against Bridgewater this year. I don't, and uh, with it being at uh, Minnesota, I don't see us taking this one. Mm-hmm. So in the first half, three and five, uh, and then you guys host the Bears. I think we should be able to beat the Bears this year. Um, Jay Cutler, uh, you know, he likes to throw his interceptions, and uh, I think this might be the one game where Janoris Jenkins is able to shine uh, as the playmaker and maybe be able to get a few uh, game-breaking interceptions. So at four and five, you guys would have a very tough uh, two-game road trip against the Ravens this and the is Bengals. A brutal schedule. Brutal schedule, yeah. Uh, but you guys would also desperately need to win one of these because then you're coming home the three straight home games. Yes, so and can they I, win one of these AFC North games? I think, uh, believe it or not, we'd probably be most likely uh, to beat the Ravens. And that's only because the Rams have shown, uh, you know, these past few years, the the biggest game that everyone assumes that we have absolutely no shot in is typically the one that we end up taking. Um, and personally, I think that we'd uh, we'd have less of a chance against the Ravens, uh, but because we're usually able to uh, rally at least one of these big games. I think that we'll probably take the Ravens one and drop the one at uh, Cincinnati. Which would bring you to five and six. And then you have a very interesting three-game three, three uh, home stretch in December, starting off with the Cardinals. Cardinals at home, I think uh, as long as our offense is still healthy, I think that we uh, finally get a win against the Cardinals at home this year. You say finally. Is there like a long streak of you guys losing to the Cardinals? Well, I mean, last year we, we dropped both games to mm-hmm. them. Okay. So six and six, and then the middle game there is uh, hosting the Lions. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see us beating the Lions. Uh, they're a tough team. Uh, you know, with being in the same division as uh, the Packers, Vikings are looking good this year. Uh, I think that they're going to be battling pretty hard for an off-season spot, and uh, I mean a uh, postseason spot. And I don't think that uh, they're going to let the Rams take one away from them. And then to end the three-game stretch, and by the way, three not just three straight home games, three home games in 11 days. I wonder if that's ever happened before. Um, you <laughs> well, guys, that, that game against the Lions, so that could be a you know a loser leaves town match because if you're six, totally. and six, and then you lose to Detroit for the wild card, you'd also be losing the tiebreaker now. Well, who's to say Detroit's so good though? 
Yeah, well, that's true. But they, but, no, I'm kind of down the but they will have, yeah, but over. they will have also lost the tiebreaker to the Vikings then, which is another wild card. Contender. Now we're getting very particular. This is like yeah. a high class problem for a Rams fan, Chester. <laughs> All right, okay, fine. So you're, <laughs> what are we? You're six and seven, we said. Yeah, and then All you guys right. host the, uh, the Buccaneers on Thursday night. Uh, it's a take your wife out for dinner game if you're not a fan of the Rams or Buccaneers. Wait, but you were <laughs> complaining about not having national TV games. There you go, prime time. James yeah, Winston. but uh, the Rams fans should watch. I don't think that we have to be subjected to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think that we're going to be able to pick up a win um, against the Buccaneers. Um, obviously, once again, it's all anecdotal because it was one game, but uh, Jameis Winston was making very, very poor decisions uh, in the first preseason game. If he keeps that up, I don't see our uh, secondary, as long as they stay healthy, uh, letting him get away with that. Yeah, Make think, a prediction. Think, is think, ja- oh, Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think the Rams' defensive line might be better than anything that Jameis saw in the ACC last year. Probably. <laughs> Probably better than Duke's defensive line. Yeah. Hey, uh, hey, I, I have a friend who played a defensive end for Duke. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't make the Rams, though. Is Jameis Winston even going to be playing in that game? You know, it's, it's tough to say. Um, I don't think he'll get injured. Um, I am curious to see uh, if he will still be, if he'll still be unsuspended. Uh, or in any kind of trouble with the law at that point. <laughs> right. No, it's a fair point. I think it's I think for him to make it through sixteen games would be a big victory this year, honestly. It really would. Um and then you guys go to Seattle, seven and seven. I don't know if this game matters, but in your heart it matters. You can get a right. season sweep. Yeah, and there there's absolutely no way we win this game. Um I mean if uh if obviously this is all without uh considering any injuries. Uh Seahawks, they're probably going to be fighting for uh, home field advantage at this point. Uh, absolutely no way that they drop this game to us in Seattle. We haven't beat them in Seattle uh, for quite a long time either. So then you're 7-8, and eight and you end the season at the 2-13 and 13 Niners? Yeah. Um, what do you think the Niners' record is going to that game? Um, you know, I think that they'll probably have a four-win season, uh, but saying that, they'll probably end up around 8-8 eight and eight again. <laughs> Wow, this very so they're just as good as the Rams. That's uh, that's a lot of confidence. Well, hold on. And, what are the Rams going to end up eight and eight? Do you guys win that last game? Yeah, I think we I think we uh, beat 49ers uh, on the road at the end. Uh, it's just nice to finally not be facing the Seahawks in uh, Week 17 uh, in Seattle. Yeah, I mean, I, was this the first time a Jeff Fisher team would finish eight and eight? Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> the, the best he's done yet is uh, seven and nine with the Rams. No, I was making a joke because I think those Titans teams finished eight and eight like ten times. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. but I, every, I think this would be literally half of his seasons would now be seven and nine or eight and eight. I think ten out of twenty or something like that. Okay, but the good question is, if they go eight and eight, does Jeff Fisher keep his job? I do think he keeps his job um, because he's shown, like a, like we talked about previously, he's shown um, pretty much an affinity for being able to keep a job while being a very mediocre coach, um, and. I, I'll be honest, uh, I care much less about Jeff Fisher. I just want Les Snead to stay because he's been killing our drafts lately. Yeah, I think uh, there is definitely, uh, at least on the defensive side, you might need somebody in there on the offensive side, there's definitely something brewing on defense that could be special this year. Absolutely. All right, so there you have it. Jordan Roos, a little more confident, uh, but not as confident, frankly, as a lot of outsiders. A lot of outsiders see the Rams as a, as a serious contender this year. As I said in the beginning of the podcast, trolling Akiva just a little bit. Uh, Akiva thought they were, uh, or, or at least he, he has said that in the past, although I will note that Akiva ranked the Rams 17 in our preseason rankings, and I actually ranked them 15. So maybe I'm the one who's uh, too high on the Rams. 8-8 uh, eight eight would definitely be an improvement, but it, that schedule is just so tough, and especially in the beginning of the season, it's so tough that, that, even, that even an improved team is, is going to have an uphill climb to make the playoffs. 
But uh, Jordan, thanks for coming on the podcast today, and uh, we wish you and the Rams a lot of luck this year, except when they play the Vikings, uh, speaking personally. You're on Twitter at, at Mostly Jordan R. is that correct? Yes, that is correct. So if you're Mostly Jordan, then what's the remainder of you? Well, you, you go ahead and follow me, you'll find out. Ah, okay, there you go. It's a good plug. All right, Jordan, thanks very much. Yep, thank you for having okay. me. Bye-bye. So Akiva, Jordan starts the second half with the Rams at 8-8, eight and eight, which is... Pretty realistic, considering that most of the teams in the first half had their teams above 500. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Rams are, you know, they are what they are. 8-8 eight and eight would be pretty fitting for a team that's pretty good but doesn't have a good quarterback. Yeah, and I guess for the 16th ranked team, that would be about what you would expect. All right, so now let's head about 200 miles west on uh, Route I-70, and we're going to head to Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. You know, the Chiefs and the Rams, they're in the same state, I guess, but you don't really see them as rivals because they're in different conferences. And it's, I guess it's the same with the Royals and the Cardinals. People don't really think of the Kansas City-St. Louis rivalry nationally. None of their teams really get to play each other that much. Obviously, in hockey and basketball, they don't even have teams to have a rivalry. Yeah, whatever happened to that, they have like this, they built this like whole stadium in Kansas City and they never used it for basketball or hockey. They haven't been able to attract anybody there. Yeah, it's weird to me that St. Louis doesn't have a basketball team. And of course, they used to have the Hawks. And they had the All spirit right. of St. Louis, I think, in the ABA. That's true. All right. But uh, I don't think anybody is uh, listening to this to hear us analyze uh, Missouri sports politics. I thought so you were just going to say, I don't think anybody's listening to this. I'm like, yep. Also right. true. Also true. All right. So let's jump right to Kansas City. So joining us now to talk about the 15th ranked Kansas City Chiefs is Cole Hogan. Cole, how are you today? Good. 15. Awesome. Yeah, Where so- would you have him? <laughs> well, no. See, I was listening to your guys' podcasts and online you only have posted through like 25 and i was like how low do they have us ranked <laughs> yeah so we're recording this a few days in advance but uh so yeah so we have the chiefs ranked 15th cole tell us do you think that's a fair ranking do you think it's too high do you think it's too low can i ask where the broncos are relative to that yeah the broncos are a lot higher warning hot take approaching considering i have us just about even i would say that's a little, <laughs> little oh boy oh hot take uh, right off the bat and is, is that because of the Chiefs-Broncos rivalry, or, you know, you think Peyton's just going to lose it this year? I, I, I can't deny that that's a part of it, you know. Um, I have a friend that's lived out of Colorado, and he, he's actually who he went to visit in New York. But, um, By the way, know, good, we, good to call back to a conversation that was not on the actual podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love that. Whenever you're watching, like, The Daily Show, and uh-huh. they make the joke that references – like the warm-up act, like when uh-huh. Rod Stewart came out, the crowd goes nuts. No one on TV understands why, but if but you understand if you watch the show. Oh, they made a joke that I don't get, and you could appreciate that even though you don't get it. So <laughs> right, so we're really dealing to the zero percent here. <laughs> <laughs> but okay to answer the question yes i do expect some sort of a regression from peyton although he, obviously he's incredible um but also i expect a big step up from the chiefs that a lot of people aren't expecting or seeing coming okay so let's jump right into the chiefs um you know the chiefs have i think three big holes on the team come, uh you know based off the team they had last year uh, uh at wide receiver offensive line and then probably their run defense but let's start at the top with alex smith Akiva's a big Alex Smith fan. Uh, we argue about quarterback rankings all the time, and he has them a lot higher than I do. I think Akiva's argument is, you know, he's a guy who, who doesn't turn the ball over, and you, you can win with him. Um, and my argument basically is that he's limited. He doesn't turn the ball over, that's true, but that's because, you know, he throws check down passes. He never really challenges the opposing defense. And the ultimate proof of that is that they were the first team in modern football history last year that did not have a single touchdown to their wide receivers last year. And so, you know, but, but the Chiefs don't really have an alternative at quarterback, so Alex Smith is clearly it. So tell us, you know, what, uh, what folks in Kansas City or, or uh, Chiefs fans uh, 
throughout the throughout the nation think about Alex Smith? Well, you know, there's a big divide there, just like a lot of the, the middle-tier quarterbacks. Um, I My personal ranking for Alex Smith is 12. That's my magic number for him in ranking. Wow. Who's 13 um, if he's 12? Who's 15? Uh, who's like 13? I, who's he right ahead of? Um, he's above Andy Dalton. All right, that's fair. Um, I don't know. I would have to. I've I've actually wrote writ, written this out before. Um, off the top of my head, that's tough. No, that's okay. But right, I mean, twelve isn't obscene. That's I mean, that's fair. Yeah, I'm not trying to. I don't think he's top ten or anything. I do think he's more than capable. My evidence or my argument to go for him being higher than average, I guess, was the best way to say that is if you go back to the 2013 playoff game, which I'm trying to pull up stats for here, um, when we had Jamal out, Jamal Charles, and we had struggled the entire second half to put up points, but the entire first half, he just put the team on his back when we had no other options and di- put us up, what was what was it, 45-44, and we were up by four touchdowns at halftime, something like that? Mm-hmm. That was a great game. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, the the second half collapse really, uh, you know, puts the mark on it. We had a number one receiver in Dwayne Bow, obviously, who in whoa, the past whoa, whoa. he was number one. Well, a few years ago, no, number one on the roster. Oh well, someone has to be number one, but he was like uh, barely an NFL player last year. Fair enough, but you know, when you have nothing better, he is the number one option. Okay, when he's your number one, um, and he. He obviously had a great year in 2010 with Matt Castle with the, whatever, 16 or 17 touchdowns. He's obviously regressed, and their styles, um, Dwayne Bowe's catching style, does not jive with Smith's uh, passing style, where Smith likes the guy to be wide open, to be a burner, to have clear uh, path above or around their defender, and Bo is the type of bruiser that fights for the ball, or in the past he was. I think that was a huge hindrance on our passing game, along with Donnie Avery, having just a horrible, horrible last season and a half. I mean, he didn't even suit up for the last three games last year. Obviously, you have the emergence of Travis Kelsey, which everyone is hoping that he can be great, but we haven't truly seen that yet with his fumbling issues last year. We're really hoping that the addition of Jeremy Macklin and uh, Chris Conley out of the third round of the draft can really shore up the receiving core and add a lot of speed to that, which we hope, and the plan is, that that is what helps Smith get deeper passes, and more efficient in the passing game. And Macklin should be an upgrade over Bo, although, of course, he's had injury concerns. Last year, I think, was his maybe only his second season when he wasn't banged up. Yeah, you know, and that's always a worry. We also have uh, Chris Conley behind him, as I mentioned, and also uh, DeAnthony Thomas out of Oregon that we drafted two years ago. Switched to only wide receiver uh, this offseason, whereas last season he was that wide receiver-running back combo that never works out. So we're really hoping that with Jeremy Macklin... Even if he gets hurt, you still have some speed behind him. We also have guys that are lesser known, but we still have hope in, keep saying we, um, Albert Wilson being one of them, and on a lesser scale, Frankie Hammond Jr. They're more of your uh, not at the same caliber, like a Wes Welker slot guy. So we addressed you know, receiver, and you think that there's room for improvement there. The other offensive problem that this team has really had is the offensive line. I know that Jamal Charles made noise in the offseason about how the team needed to upgrade the offensive line, but... 
it seems like they've taken a step backwards. They've lost their best blocker, Rodney Hudson. You know, Eric Fisher has struggled so far. Donald Stevenson and Jeff Allen coming back this year. I think um, he he had the PED suspension last year, and Jeff Allen got injured and missed most of the season. But, I mean, is this an offensive line that's, that's going to improve, or is it going to be a lot of the same issues that they've had? You know, that's tough to say because the entire preseason, they've just been switching guys in and out on the right side. On the left side, it has been reported that Fisher and Ben Grubbs out of the trade for, I believe, a fifth-round draft pick with the Saints in the offseason um, have really solidified the left side, and they both looked good. As for center and the right side, it's a little more of the question mark. Cush um, and Allen obviously have talent, although Cush is young, and Allen has the uh, injury history, as you mentioned. Donald Stevenson really showed promise uh, in the 2013 season. He was our leading right tackle uh, starter candidate in the preseason last year before his four-game suspension last year was announced, and he just never got out of the coach's doghouse last season. So hopefully the left and right tackle, as well as the left guard in particular with uh, Ben Grubbs, can really have some talent there that can hold down the rest of the line. As you mentioned, you know, obviously Jamal Charles needs no introduction. He's great. But a lot of times we see, like, when one running back, even a great running back, like an Adrian Peterson runs for, like, you know, five and a half yards of carry, the backup's always like, oh, he's at 5.2, and yeah, maybe it's not sustainable over 350 carries, but they're still getting the job done. Niall Davis last year was really poor, so, uh, uh, you know, generally, you don't have a lot of running backs who start off uh, weekly and then, you know, magically morph into, uh, like, a great player. So you're writing him off completely, Niall Davis? That's tough. Uh, here in Kansas City, there's actually a lot of optimism surrounding Niall Davis, I'm not as optimistic when it comes to his potential future, but I do think that his running style does sort of lend itself as a nice compliment to Jamal's. And we do, when Jamal was injured last year, we did just feed Niall Davis the ball. And although he didn't do stellar, a three and a half carry is workable, I suppose. Um, three and a half yard per carry average. I want to say that I have confidence in him in the future. Not, but he will never be a successor to Jamal in my eyes. And obviously that would be very difficult to be. All right, so let's move it over to the defense, Cole. And, you know, on offense, there's a, if, it feels like it's a little top heavy. You know, Alex Smith, good player. Jamal Charles, great player. Jeremy Macklin, good player. Kelsey, very underrated. And then, you know, as we discussed, a lot of issues on the line and, and receiving depth. But the defense is really loaded with uh, a bunch of studs. So, Starting with the defensive line, is there, you know, one player in particular you think is going to break out this year? Is there anybody, uh, you know, who are, who, who are, uh, offenses really going to have to key in on? Cause there's, in the front seven, other than obviously Justin Houston, who's probably the best player on your team, you know, who's, who's going to, which of these seven guys is going to be scaring, uh, offensive lines and coordinators the most this year? Here in the Kansas City market, um, it's been well known for about, well, ever since training camp started. Dontari Poe is out. For the first few weeks of the season, he has a he had surgery on his back about two or three weeks before training camp opened, and he had a disc removed in his back, and so that really puts a asterisk next to that nose tackle spot. You hope a guy in Jay Howard can step up and perform, but that's a big hole to fill. Dontari Poe is obviously going to get a gigantic contract this upcoming offseason as his rookie deal expires. Um, on the just the front line, um, Alan Bailey and DeVito are both very talented, if not more just average players that you fill your line with. But Josh Maga filled in nicely for Derek Johnson last year, and with Derek Johnson's return, they will play alongside each other in the left and right inside linebacker spots. And obviously, Tom Bahali 
rounds out that right side. He actually uh, took a pay cut because he wanted to stay here in Kansas City. He believed in this team so much, and he is preventing D4 from getting on the field, which, good or bad, he was our draft, our uh, first-round draft pick last year, and he didn't show great last year, so we're hoping to see improvement from him. Outside of that, it is all mostly unknowns. Yeah, and moving to the secondary, you know, Sean Smith is the uh, probably the you know the most well-known and maybe the best player on the team, but I thought Haseem Abdullah played really well last year also. Yeah, uh, Hussein Abdullah is, oh, uh, no, you're fine, definitely a, a great free safety that we signed. It's going to be tough for him to stay on the field if Eric, if Eric Barry returns to form, which is commendable on its own right. I don't know if you guys saw out there uh, in New York, but he actually, throughout chemo, gained a pound. Um, he didn't lose any muscle, well, maybe muscle, but he didn't lose any overall mass throughout that entire eight-month process, and he started training the first day of training camp, or he started back at the first day of training camp. He played in the first preseason game. He is good to go. So that's just incredibly impressive on its own. We signed Ron Parker to a, a deal in the offseason. He is a guy who absolutely played out of his mind in the Buffalo Bills game for the Chiefs last year. He had something like two interceptions. He caused a fumble at like the one-yard line, and he is really a great player at the safety position. However, he is all-time terrible at the cornerback position, in my opinion. So as long as he stays at safety, we're going to be just fine with him. Tyvon Branch is his backup, who is a great player but just gets injured so much, as well as Sanders Cummings, who also backs up Eric Berry and Hussein Abdullah. Sanders Cummings, you might remember, is actually the guy that Jamal Charles broke his actual ankle in training camp last year. Literally broke his ankle. He liter- Jamal Charles literally juked Sanders Cummings so hard in training camp last year that he broke his ankle. Wow. So uh, yeah, yeah, he, 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 he lives good. in infamy here in Kansas City. Uh, Cole, I was wondering, you know, you're 20 years old, right? Yeah. What's the what's the best Chiefs moment of your young life? Because <laughs> the there hasn't been a ton, probably, right? You, you know, the first half of the playoff game, probably, followed closely by the worst moment of my life being the second half. <laughs> <laughs> so the best um, moment was a loss in a playoff game that you led by 28 points. Man, yeah. I have tickets to the Chiefs-Broncos game with one of my best buds here coming up in week two. Um, so I'm hoping that that can, you know, replace that with a win for the first time since Peyton Manning has been a Bronco. Have you seen a Chiefs playoff win? No. <laughs> oh, man. That that question got a little more bleak than I had even anticipated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm a and, Jets fan. And I, can, I, can come I can't up with even use the outlight before I started watching. It's just, no, it wasn't even alive. So both the Chiefs and the Royals were absolutely catastrophically terrible throughout my my entire generation's life until this last year when the Royals obviously broke that streak. They have a 3-10 and ten playoff record in my lifetime. Yeah. So. Uh, three wins since the Super Bowl. So you guys are, you know, a little bit, it, it's funny, the Jets are kind of viewed as sad sack. The Jets have, you know, more road playoff wins uh, since then. You know, they've... Uh, they've well, you know, yeah, they hit the, those AFC Championship games and Mark Sanchez yeah, and Rick Ryan's are, uh, Wow, you, you know, the Chiefs really should get a little more national... Uh, street cred for being kind of pathetic. They've had a lot of teams that you know were three or thirteen and three teams. Yeah, that they're because they're, they're rarely like. I mean, yes, they had a first pick, but like they're rarely like. Oh, there's the you know four and twelve Chiefs for the third straight year, but it's sort of been like consistent mediocrity, like to slightly below averageness. Well, Akiva, if I may be frank, and and this is something that I've long complained about Jets fans being so self-centered and, and myopic. The Jets are not 
a franchise that anybody cares about nationally. The Jets are not a, oh, woe is me Oh, we, I've admitted this on this podcast. But the Jets love to pretend as if, oh, they've had historically bad luck. And no, the Jets are just a, a an average, mediocre team. Cole, do you agree with that, that the Jets are irrelevant in general? Um, I will say that I read a lot of and see a lot of stories about the Jets out here in Kansas, so... Yeah, but I'm saying, but that's because of the fact that they're in New York, and so well, of course, when anyone Gino, in New York when Geno Smith gets punched in the jaw, everybody's like, "Oh, that couldn't happen to a better team than the Jets." Which, by the way, Why? was hysterical. Oh, absolutely. The, the teams that are historically bad in the NFL, you know, you have obviously the Cardinals and the Lions and the Bengals and the Browns, and then and then you, you have teams that have been very good, but you know, snake bitten in the playoffs, like the Eagles and the Vikings. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, I. I personally can't speak for it, and I'm sorry for cutting you off, but obviously the, or maybe not, the 2003 Chiefs offense was one of the all-time greats with Trent Green, Will Shields, Priest Holmes, yes, but then we had one of the all-time worst defenses to pair with it. So it's just been a very difficult time. I remember watch. I remember watching the playoff game in 2003. My parents were devastated. These guys are getting younger and younger, Chester. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> I think the Chiefs, and, and there's a, a lot of teams in the AFC like that, they're very similar to the Dolphins. In in fact, let me have a, yeah, so this is in my lifetime, um, or in, in my lifetime as a fan, I'll say. So this goes back to the early 90s. The, the, the Chiefs are one game better than Miami, 191 wins versus Miami is 190. They've made the playoffs one more time, but they've only won three playoff games and Miami's won five. So, you know, they're very similar, and we talked about that a lot with the Dolphins guy, that the Dolphins sort of get forgotten in the national discussion, but they're a team that sort of just, you know, has floated around at 8-8 eight and eight year after year, and once in a while they make the playoffs, but they never do anything in the playoffs. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, if you think they're going to compete with the Broncos to win the division, then that means that, you know, you think that they have a real chance to, to make some noise. So let's turn to the schedule now and see how that's going to work out. You have a very tough early schedule, um, which is sort of the reverse. Last year, the Kansas City started seven and three and then collapsed. This year, you have an easy December, but you know I, I was looking at the schedule and I thought you guys could start zero and four and maybe even one and seven before the bye, which would you know make that easy December irrelevant. But let's see what you think. So week one, you're gonna go on the road to face Houston. Yeah, I have that as a win. I don't think that. Houston has their quarterback situation figured out. Of course, if Ryan Mallett just explodes and is who you hope he is as a Texans fan, then obviously you you look at that differently. And I hope that he does for their sake. But I honestly don't think that they have that figured out. And as we know, without a quarterback, you really don't have a chance. All right. So on the road, big win at Houston in week one. Then short rest. Three days later, you're facing the Broncos at home, your biggest rival. I don't think I'm a perfectly uh, impartial person here considering I, I have tickets to that game i have that as a victory it'll be close it'll be close i i wouldn't obviously i wouldn't be shocked if we lost all right so yeah. forget about 0-4 you have the chiefs starting 2-0 and um but it gets even tougher you have 11 days to get ready but on monday night football you go to green bay to face the packers everyone here in kansas city know is well aware of andy reed's bi-week record with I think 18 and one now, 17 and one. Yep. But unfortunately, I, I recognize the greatness there, and I have to realize that Aaron Rodgers is going to beat us. All right. So two and one. Then another tough road game at Cincinnati, and you know that's a team with whom, just like Houston, who you could possibly have some playoff tiebreakers down the line at the end of the year. And this is the worst month, probably the worst opening month of any team in the league. Yeah, yeah that's, it, that's why I was saying I, I thought zero and four, but you know, maybe and, one and three. But but we're we're two we're two and one. And what happens when they go to Cincinnati? Well. Honestly, I don't respect Marvin Lewis as a coach. <laughs> I don't respect, Do respect Andy Dalton as a postseason. Do you respect Marvin Lewis as a man? 
Um, Do you respect however, Marvin Lewis as a we lover? don't have Sean Smith in this game at, or any of the other th- first three. And who knows about Duntari Poe? That's a tough one to call. I have it as uh, a loss, despite that. All right, so two and two. But, you know, you come home for definitely the easiest game you've had yet on the schedule to play the Bears. And, you know, the Bears are not a terrible team necessarily, but, but it's a lot easier than that first month. Yeah, um, I have that as a victory simply because Jay Cutler is a circus show in his own right. Yep. And they got rid of arguably their best wide receiver, and everyone's coming back a year older, which, I mean, you can argue that for every team, but they just got a new coach, if I'm not mistaken. So that I, I think all those factors coming into play, we count that as a victory for the Chiefs, so 3-2. and two. All right, and then you go to Minnesota to face the Vikings. Uh, yeah, Adrian Peterson, the uh, guy no one has seen in a year. That's a tough one, simply You guys should that. go to this game together. What? He's a Vikings fan. You guys should go to this game together. I would love that, you know? If we could work out a way to get me up there, poor Chiefs or poorest college student and all. Yeah, we're not providing sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I actually do have a buddy up there. We talked about him going. But, um, you know, that's tough. Um, I like their quarterback, uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Obviously, a lot better than Christian Ponder. It's <laughs> a low bar. All right, <laughs> yes, so what happens is. in that game? I'm going to go with a victory simply because I. I think Dantari Poe will be back by then, which really solidifies our running game. All right, so now you're up to 4-2. and two. Um, You know, and you mentioned the running game. I think the Chiefs have been really one of the worst run defenses in the league the last few years. Um, despite, you know, I mean, they have a lot of fantastic guys on that defensive line, but, but most of them are, are pressuring the quarterback. But, um, you know, you're facing a, a slew of good running backs here in the early going. You know, of course, you miss Arian Foster, but you have Eddie Lacy, and you have Gio Bernard and, and Hill in Cincinnati, and then Matt Forte and Adrian Peterson, and then the next week you have um, Le'Veon Bell and Pittsburgh at home. Honestly, can't remember how our defense was rated for, against the run in 2013 with the playoff run there. Um, but last year, obviously, it was terrible. I attribute that more to uh, the loss of Derek Johnson and uh, Eric Berry, who are well-known as run-stoppers, with Dontari Poe back, hopefully healthy, obviously, and Derek Johnson, hopefully healthy, and Eric Berry, hopefully healthy. All three of those guys are are our ace run-stoppers up the middle. Uh, obviously, Justin Houston can hold his own. The left side there with Tom Bahali holding that side, he's a little slower, but he's obviously still great. So I think we're going to be better, a lot better than we were last year with those additions. And so what happens in Week 7 against Pittsburgh? <laughs> but Ben Roethlisberger is a talent, no doubt. Le'Veon Bell is a talent, no doubt. Uh, Antonio Brown is awesome. Uh, I count that as a loss simply because of the fact that I think Ben Roethlisberger just goes off for whatever unknown reason. All right, so 4-3. and three. Then you go to London to face the Lions in a game that's technically a home game. Yeah, ain't that awesome. Thank you, Clark Hunt. Careful. That's not a very close to something else. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's okay. We're allowed to curse on this on this podcast. So you can you can say Clark Hunt as many times as you want. <laughs> yeah, I have that as a victory. Matt Stafford's obviously great, and throwing to Calvin Johnson is obviously a luxury. However, I can't think of any other weapons they have outside of that, and so I just don't feel threatened. Well, uh, Amir Abdullah looks pretty good in the preseason. The next Barry Sanders are calling him. The Jets I mean, have made many preseason monsters. <laughs> yeah. I think Victor Cruz was the first one. Yeah. And so now you're at five and three, and you can tell. You know, when we look at the schedule, I, re- I also like to look at it from a TV angle. You could tell the schedule makers and the powers that be of the league are pretty high on the Chiefs this year. You know, you have the you have a home. You know, that CBS big. You know, week two slot. You have a very high profile Monday Night Football game in Green Bay, and they have to think you're decent, or else you know 
anybody who goes to Green Bay who's not loses 42-10. to 10. And so now you have uh, at Denver, I thought this would be a national game, but actually looking at it, the Giants play the Patriots at the same time. So uh, nobody's going to see this other than in Kansas City and Denver market. So you're at Denver. What do you think is going to happen there? Are you guys going to sweep the Broncos? Uh, no, I don't. I'm not that <laughs> delusional. Okay. <laughs> so you're um, five, five so and four. I do want to step back just a second and say that I do think that the league thinks we're going to, and powers it be for scheduling, think we're going to be decent. However, obviously, with our most of our big games up front, they're not sure with our late season collapse if that's going to happen again. So they're leaving room for us to be opted into some late season primetime games. Yeah, uh, and that's actually a very good point because uh, the next game at San Diego is that very type of game. It's not a huge TV market by any stretch, you know, that game. But that so. was on Sunday Night Football. Unless Could that be flexed out by Week 11? Yeah, that's a flex out because Week 11 yeah. already, yeah. So I'm saying a game like that, you know, maybe the Chargers and Chiefs are both like 5-5 five and five or whatever, but... Um, so what do you think? Are they going to, you know, that's a tough road swing, you know, at Denver than at San Diego. Do you think uh, they can pull off the Sunday night win? San Diego is definitely talented. However, uh, we are 4-0 against them, I believe, in the last two years. And I don't see that streak ending wow. this year with all the uncertainty surrounding the franchise. I just see that being a gigantic distraction this entire season. Wait, which one's, about whether they move to L.A., you mean? Yeah, and Philip Rivers think, and all that. Player, well, <laughs> didn't I don't River, think the players Rivers, care if they have to move. Yeah, like Rivers just got a contract, away. didn't he? I, he got I understand that, but I also believe that Rivers has been quoted multiple times saying he will not follow the team to San Diego, so I believe that that's some serious uncertainty. To L.A., you mean? Wow. Well, because well, he's LA, got a lot of kids. L.A.'s a den of evil, and you know he can't have his kids around that. <laughs> he does have eight LA, kids, so yeah. Kids, eight kids, yeah. Uh, first of all, again, because we're recording this a week before it's going to post, we should just say he just he he does have blank kids so that we can insert like the nine if he has another one. Oh, if he has another kid, <laughs> yeah. that's a good one. All right, so you're six and four, and now your schedule really opens up. You host the Bills the next week. Yeah, Kyle Orton is obviously retired now, and he actually played re- pretty well for them last year. Uh, but now they have a combination of Matt Castle, who is near and dear to the bottom end of us here in Kansas City, um, and they also have Tyrod Taylor who I'm actually pretty excited to see how he turns out because I'm just interested how he he the Ravens fans where he was are always very high on him so I'm just excited to see how he turns out when he has a chance to actually be a starter cuz Matt Castle yeah. is not your answer. Chester I think will attest that I've kind of been leading the Tyrod Taylor bandwagon as empty as it is right now. <laughs> I I I'm all for it. Let's let's I'm on. So but you think the Chiefs are going to pull out that game? Yeah, I do. I do. I don't feel threatened by Buffalo despite I mean We've played. We've played. The Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills have played, con- including this season, eight straight years. So it's. I mean, it's basically a conference game at this point. And those games are always long, dirty, and awful. And I hate them because we almost always lose, but somehow we win. All right. So seven and four, and then we see for the first time on December sixth this season, we see uh, the Chiefs again. Would you say the Raiders are your biggest rival or the Broncos? Historically, Oakland. Currently. The Broncos. All right, good answer. All right, so then what do you think? That game in Oakland. You know, the Raiders are much improved this year, I think. I'm not totally sold on Derek Carr, but the addition of Amari Cooper and stealing Rodney uh, Rodney Hudson from us just really set that rivalry back up. Um, I still think that I, I've said that we th- I, I thought we were going to sweep them for two straight years. Obviously, that hasn't happened either year, um, but I think this is the year that we sweep them. So I think that's a victory. Spoiler alert for week seventeen. So that's eight and four. You you face the uh, the Chargers again just three weeks after going you for another them. sweep over there. Yeah, yeah. And as I said, 
we uh, were four and zero in the last two years, I believe. We might be three and one. Um, I don't see that ending. All right, so that's a so, victory. And then you go to Baltimore. Yeah, and I have that as a loss. Um, Joe Flacco has black magic behind him. I swear. I don't understand half of the things he does, but he wins games and he goes deep in the playoffs. He wins Super Bowl or won Super Bowl, so I can't really argue with him. I they have something going over there, and I think we lose to him. By the way, San Diego swept the, the Chiefs in 2013. Okay. FYI. Okay, but my you, bad. But you my did bad. sweep them last year. Yeah. I, I, I was. That's nine and five. You know, you're in the thick of the playoff race in this hypothetical. You host the Browns. I'm actually thinking about going to that game too because I'm interested in the whole Johnny Manziel will he start drama. Um, you get a ticket for sixteen dollars. Yeah, uh, you know, great value, right? Sit up in the nosebleeds. Um, is there no is there no um, sort of excitement about the Chiefs this year, or is it just the stadium so big they could always get cheap tickets? We pay. I see. I always look at the for the Broncos tickets more than schedule. five roads. Yeah, I'm but the, that's that's you know that's the first game and it's against the Broncos on on you know a primetime game. I you know it's the cheapest seats actually of almost any team I've seen this season. Uh, I mean, well, Arrowhead holds four hundred and seventy four thousand yeah. people, Akiva. So probably yeah, it's the Browns. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. What do you, you want? Guys them to be you could be resting Alex Smith. This could be uh, Chase Akiva. Dan. On a serious note, Week sixteen. You know, keeping in mind that your team might be in the playoff race there, your fantasy football team might be in the championship. How much money would you have to be paid to go to a Browns Chiefs game in Week 16? The problem is, in in a vacuum, I would have no problem going to the game tailgating beforehand. My problem, oh, in it's, general, I mean, it's a great tailgate, but you know you won't be able to keep up on the Jets. You well, that's my problem. I, th- yeah. There's going to be 12 games on at one o'clock that week, and so I, many I, you playoff know, implications. I, I mean, the, you know, the Jets are they going to get the first pick in the draft? I got to find out. Um, <laughs> I think, I, yeah, it, that's the problem. Nobody should go to games except at night, because there's, or maybe at four o'clock. You could justify if you watch the one o'clock in the parking lot. It's very difficult to say like I'm going to go to this game. And obviously, if you know, to go to one game is, is reasonable, but like to go to a one o'clock game and then you miss the four o'clock games driving home, it's a really big commitment when you could sit on your couch <laughs> on a huge screen with a better view, exactly. eat some good food that's much cheaper. And watch 12 games at once. You know, that's an interesting take that I've honestly never once heard before. Is he being is he being fresh with us? <laughs> I don't know. We're going to send him to his room. <laughs> but, and I'm just going to chime in. Going to, no, going to night games sucks also. Uh, I, went to, I went to the Vikings. Yeah, no, going to night games is horrible. I went to the Vikings-Jets Monday Nighter a couple of years ago. Uh, that was the one where Brett Favre threw the – he had his 500th touchdown pass to Randy Moss. Um, it was Moss's first game of having been traded back to the Vikings. Um, of a, you know, that was a short-lived period, of course. And that was also the game where there was a hurricane monsoon in the Meadowlands, so the game was delayed an hour and a half, if you guys mm-hmm. remember that. Yeah. Uh, I ended up getting home at 3 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that happens with the night game. But that's in New York, of course. You know, if yeah, you, I mean, it's impossible to get home before it's a disaster. one from these night games if you're on Long Island or, yeah, or you know, I mean, Westchester. That was just a disaster. But all right, so what happens in Week 16 against the Browns? You know, I'm sorry that you guys have to play in an air conditioner that night games aren't fun for you guys. <laughs> I visited that stadium, by the way. Boring. It's a very boring stadium. Oh, I agree. Really, really they should have knocked it down immediately. It was, so, it was such dollars. a bad building job. Waste of a billion dollars. Glad we agree. But then again, football stadiums in general, it's not, it's not like baseball stadiums. You know, they don't have sort of the uniqueness to it. Uh, honestly, the only... Well, we're talking to a Chiefs fan. There is some uniqueness to that field. 
Well, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know about the people, outside people, parts yeah, of the people stadium. Talk about the fa- I don't know. I mean, t- to me, the, the fact that they spent a billion dollars on that new stadium was ridiculous. You know, but but this I will like, say that I went in the Commissioner's Club. Highly recommended if you can get a ticket in there. Look at this guy. Who's he hanging out High with? Roller. Hey, right. you need to go on the tour, man. It's all, all right. the same. Let's get back. Let's oh, it's a tour. I thought you were like actually at the game with like Roger. No, Adele. no. I'm okay. a college student. Uh, well, listen. Maybe your dad is like, co- you know, roommates with him or something from college. I don't all know. right. Let's get let's get back to the uh, to the Chiefs and the Browns <laughs> in Week 16. This podcast is off the rails. <laughs> Cleveland. I'm interested in them. I think they're adorable. I'm not threatened by them. I think that's a Chief victory. All right. So now so, you're ten and five. Yeah, ten and five. Is this for the division? This last game? The Broncos record at this point, Cole. I think it would be a catastrophic season for them to do worse than 11-5. and five. Mm-hmm. So I think if we win the division, if the Chiefs win the division, it will only be by tiebreakers if, we do, if we're both 11-5. and five. But yeah. I don't see the Broncos being worse than 11-5. and five. But you have the Chiefs right now at 4-1 and one in the division and 10-5. and five. So if they beat the Raiders, they're 5-1 and one in the division. I do like that we're breaking these hypothetical ties. Yeah. We should well, really I'm just saying, unless that. the Broncos also sweep San Diego and Oakland, I think you'd probably be winning that tiebreaker. Uh, well, we're going to have him predict the Broncos. Well, are you game. saying that's out of the question for Peyton Manning and the Broncos? <laughs> I guess you have San Diego it. winning about five games, but... <laughs> I guess that says what I think about San Diego. Then. Oh, so you're down on the Chargers. Okay. All right. So in Week 17, so you have a win over Oakland. Yeah, I do. Wow. Who knows? If it'll be our our backups in like the last two years, but I I hope I hope we can get a victory in Week 17 at home versus Oakland Raiders. Eleven and five. Yeah, I mean you'll sign for that right now. Yeah, and you know my my personal opinion with the playoffs is ten and six can get you there, but you aren't guaranteed. Eleven and five, you should be in. So that's what I that's my hoping. You know, that's where I hope for. Uh, I expect 11 and 5. Yeah, so maybe you have like a first round in Denver, the 5 4 matchup. And that's terrifying in itself. <laughs> All right, so there you have it. Cole Hogan, a very confident Chiefs fan. Uh, you know, I, of course, had the Chiefs uh, ranked 18 in my preseason rankings. Akiva has them at 13, but Cole thinks that we're both too low. He has them at 11 and 5, possibly competing with the Broncos for a division title. Cole, thanks for joining us today. You're on Twitter at Jayhawk Cole, is that correct? That's right. Uh, who's your number one team? Is, is is it the Jayhawks? Is it the Chiefs? Is it the Royals? I have a. It's it's definitely the Chiefs. Honestly, I love KU football, which is even worse. Do you love KU football more than basketball? Uh, no, they're about equal, I'd say. It, but their their seasons are separated, so minus yeah. a few weeks, so they don't really compete. Yeah. Well, yeah, but in your heart, they in do. your heart. Yeah. So you only have so much space. You know, you'll I learn love all my children you. equally. Do you have a, you have favorite children, Chester? Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the Vikings are probably my number one favorite child. Oh, I meant your actual kids. Yeah, I know. I'm getting to them. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, I got it. I got it. Vikings number one. Well, um, I don't have Arsenal up there like one of our Jets fans did. <laughs> so thanks again. Good luck to the Chiefs this year. Thanks, guys. It was fun. Okay, Akiba. So what do you think of Cole Hogan picking the Chiefs to go 11-5? and five? You know, there's going to be some sleeper in the AFC, especially if – you know, a lot of people are getting more and more worried about Manning's health. We also didn't call him on the fact that at the beginning of that interview, he thinks that the Broncos and Chiefs are about even. But then at the end of the interview, when he does the predictions, he says the absolute worst case scenario for the Broncos, he thinks, is 11 and 5. And he thinks that his best case scenario for the Chiefs is 11 and 5. So we didn't call him on all that. But you know what? He's only 20 years old. He has years to learn. His teams will always let him down. Well, he could be a Patriots fan. His teams would never let him down. Yeah, but unfortunately for him, he uh, lives in Kansas, not Boston. Not unfortunate for him, just as a sports fan, unfortunate for him. Why would you rather live in Kansas or Boston? I've been to Kansas a few times. I think it's a very beautiful place. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be talking about a team uh, that plays in a place that we've both lived for many years, and that's the New York Giants.
We both lived in Jersey for many years. Well, we both lived in New York. I guess the team plays in New Jersey. Um, and our guest is going to be Josh Berliner. We're both from East Rutherford. <laughs> I live in the marshes. Uh, right outside. Think, are you expecting a pessimistic Josh Berliner? You know, Josh Berliner is usually pretty down on his team, so who knows what he'll predict the Giants to do. Maybe like 6-10 like and 10 again, 7-9 at best. Yeah, it'll look like 6-10 and 10 probably. Yeah, uh, we'll have to wait till we get to the schedule and, and we'll see what he says there. All right, so thanks for joining us. Tomorrow, the 14th-ranked New York Giants slowly climbing our way back up into the contenders. So have a good night. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward, prohibited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.